Together, this is our prayer as a church as we continue to worship his name. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who struggle and desire victory. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who are strangers and want fellowship. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to whoever will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue to sing about his freedom. Amen. Amen. 
I like that. I like that. Let's give it up for our worship team this morning. Well, welcome to the Brook. We're so glad that you're here. When you walked in this morning, you should have received our new little hello cards. Everyone get one of these? And if you've scanned the QR code, and if you can't scan the QR code for some reason, there's also a way for you to do it through text message. You can text the word connect to the number there. And that's going to send you to a landing page that has all the links you're going to need for today's time. If you don't have the Bible app, you can get it there. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, it's there. If you want a connect card, you want to submit a prayer request, if you want to give online, everything you need to connect with us here at the Brook is right there. You're going to get this every single Sunday so that you can follow along, journey with us. We're so glad that you're here. If you didn't know, we're a church that exists to be a people from all people passionate for God. And our desire, our desire is to help you grow and to fall more in love with God. And so no matter where you're at in your journey, again, we're just really glad that you're here. And we want to celebrate with you and we want to encourage you this morning. Our passage reading this morning is in Colossians chapter 2. You can follow along in the Bible app or on the screen here. It's going to be in chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, all the way through, um, through verse 15. So here we go. It says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, you know exactly where each one of us is at on our spiritual journey. And Lord, the beautiful thing is that you meet us right there. You're not somewhere far off waiting for us to do the work to reach you. You did the work to reach us. You, you have done the work to come where we are to meet us where we're at right now. And so, Lord, we pray that no matter where anyone is right now in their journey, Lord, that we would experience that in a very real and practical and powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship this morning.
see the world is broken. We are broken. But God, we serve a God that is perfect in all his ways that is here for us. So as we sing it one more time, God.
lifted high, Lord. Be magnified in these songs and the prayers that we have in our hearts. And through your word, through your word, Lord, would you break down the walls and mend the hurt that might be going on in different individuals' lives, Lord. Oh, but Lord, may we look to you. May we look to only you. stretch reach for the stars today maybe baby you're an astronaut no room for margin my fears are starving the saints still marching i am the harvest god got flowers for me god got flowers for me god got flowers in me that never met a face just roasting in shades You can lay inside your faith This kind never fades enough I feel love surrounding me And your spirit guiding me Just breathe and pray There's grace for the day So I can show up Show up for myself, show up for myself, and today I will show up for myself, show up for myself, Technically, still morning. Good. So, welcome, welcome, welcome to the brook. Welcome uh, to the brook, and uh, what a wonderful time it has been already this morning. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And I have to tell you that um, those are words, those are words that in the very first century of the church, those were fighting words, right? The, the phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, could get you killed. Because you are asserting something that the Roman Empire never for a second wanted you to do. To say that someone else was God. And so today with that simple confession, we turn our, in our Bibles to the book of Colossians and Colossians chapter 2. Where we pick up where we've left off these past uh, few weeks in a series on the book of Colossians. Colossians the city of Colossae is, is you know, smack dab in the middle of the Roman Empire. We don't know a ton about it because um, there hasn't been a lot of archaeological work done on the city. That We know they had a massive earthquake probably within 10 years of the time Paul wrote this letter. It's interesting. It doesn't seem to play a factor in interpreting the text, but it's good to, it's good to keep in mind. What we've been talking about for the past, uh, at least the past uh, three weeks, is starting at verse 6 where it says in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So this is not simply like taking the dog for a walk around the neighborhood. This is not simply kind of wandering around the mall or wandering around anywhere or the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, not really going anywhere. Uh, really, we want to hit the point that the Christian life is a journey. It is a journey. 
And we are all on that journey together. And uh, point number two, very much related, is this. The journey has its ups and downs. It does, it does, it does. Ups and downs. And a lot of downs lately for many of us, but ups as well. In the middle of it all, in the middle of our journey, we need to always remember there are things to watch out for. And Paul does that in verse 8, does he not? He says, see to it that no one takes you captive on your journey. Not by philosophy, not by empty deceit, not according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Don't let the world fool you into following it on your journey. Always keep your eyes where? On Jesus. And that's point three. The journey is with Christ. It's not that God, uh, you come to faith in Christ, you trust him as your savior, and then God lets you kind of wander around. No, God is with you every step of the way. And we hit that point last week, I think, when we talked about over and over again, the, all of the references starting in verse 9 all the way through verse 15, where it says over again, our, uh, we are with Christ, we are in Christ, we are baptized with him, we are circumcised in him. All of those uh, references means that we are not alone, and I trust as you've thought about these things over the past couple of weeks, that they have been a source of encouragement. I have to tell you that I know uh, personally that it's really good, it's really good in the middle of a tough day to remember that Jesus Christ walks with you and that he's there every step of the way. That brings us to our, uh, the point that we're going to develop today. And th this is basically this, um, in, by means of introduction. The journey is ultimately successful because the work of Christ for us. We are on a journey where we know what the ending is. It is the journey that will lead us into the very presence of God. We will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we fear no evil because God is with us. His rod, his staff, and the picture of the good shepherd, they will comfort us. They will guide us. They will lead us. Our journey is ultimately going to be successful. You know, there are days when it seems like evil is winning and it's winning by a huge score. This verse, the verse that we're going to talk about today, and really the overall theme of the Bible is that ultimately God wins. And we, if you are a child of Christ today, if you have trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, you indeed are on the winning side. So let me start reading in verse 13 and work our way to our verse that we want to get to today, verse 15. You, Paul says in Colossians 2.13, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The picture of the forgiveness of sins, the canceling of debts, everything that was against us, every lawsuit that was against us, every claim that was put against us, all of those things nailed to the cross, completely forgiven. And then in verse 15, he, the Lord, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The title of our sermon today is called Dismantling the Powers. Uh, if you want to fill it out just a little bit more, Dismantling the Powers of the World. And it's taken from the very first uh, phrase in verse 15, disarming the rulers and authorities. Dismantling the powers simply is another way of saying 
the victory of God. We don't talk about victory sometimes because life is hard and we don't often feel victorious or a lot of times we don't feel victorious, but we always need to remind ourselves that we indeed are victorious, not based on some sort of sentimentality or some kind of wishful thinking or blind optimism, but really we want to base our hope on the truth of God's word and what's laid out before us today. Whether it's Colossians 2.15 or, or other verses we may look at today, we want to highlight this, that we indeed, as children of God on this journey with Christ, are experiencing and will ultimately experience the very victory of God himself over the world and over all of its resonant powers. Now, when I get to verse 15, and I look at the, the way it's set up and the way it's worded and, and the expressions that are used, you can see that there are three uh, verbs or verbal forms that are used. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's one, he disarmed. Then, number two, he put them to open shame. And then verse three, or the, the third one is at the end of the phrase, by triumphing over them in him. So disarming, putting them to shame, triumphing. Now that makes a really good three-point sermon, but that's not the direction I want to go. It's not exactly the direction I want to go. What I want to do is step back for just a minute today with you and think about the picture that Paul is painting of a victory that God has and that we as the children of God have in him. So we're going to develop the, we're going to develop the picture uh, based on an image that Paul uses. Now, you know, Colossae was part of the Roman Empire, and it was, uh, it was not necessarily the most important town. You, some commentators say it may have been one of the least important towns that Paul wrote to. And, and they're still, I mean, if you look it up, you, they're still trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to excavate it and, and do archaeological studies on it. It's sort of an interesting topic. But nevertheless, the, the people of Colossians who read this letter, the people who, who heard these words in verse 15 for the first time, had, as soon as Paul mentioned it, it was something was going to pop in their head. And what was going to pop in the head, in their heads, the image that Paul is painting, this big picture, is the picture of a Roman parade. Rome was, of course, a great empire, the greatest empire of its day, right? The most powerful empire in the known world, right? At that time, in that area of the world, it, encompassed a, it, it encompasses a lot of ground, a lot of territory. And the Caesars, right, the rulers, uh, you know, they were emperors. There was an imperial, it was an empire, all of those things. Now, I was thinking around, trying to get info about these parades. And these parades were not just simply um, a Thanksgiving Day parade you'd have in New York City or something like that, where they have some floats and some you know, big balloons of underdog or, or whoever. Uh, what it is, what they were, were they were celebrations of the victories that Rome won in battle. And so in doing research, I stumbled across a a dissertation that someone actually wrote for the University of Washington a few years, just three or four years ago. And there's a paragraph, and I don't usually read from dissertations uh, during sermons, but I thought this paragraph to me was, was interesting. See if, it, see, if, uh, see if we can unpack it a little bit. By the mid-first century um, before Christ was born, the triumphal material culture that began to develop in the mid-third century, back in like 250 B.C., had fully materialized, moving far beyond the ephemeral moment of the parade to include triumphal architecture, the public display of war booty, particularly in large collections, as part of an overt statement of military victory and the decoration of private homes with art and luxury goods inspired by similar triumphal plunder. 
So what's happening is, is that the Roman parade, this thing that Paul is painting a picture of, the Romans, they brought back, what, people, right, that they had captured. They brought back plunder, right, artworks, all kinds of things. And these artworks would show up in generals' homes, as well as buildings and new, we're gonna, we have so many victories, we're going to build a new building to put all of our plunder in. At the heart of this, back to the, the dissertation, at the heart of this triumphal material culture, now listen to this carefully, was the elite desire to make a lasting, visible statement about their own and consequently Roman power. It wasn't simply we won the game like uh, we had here in Miami a few years ago when the Heat were winning championships and we have a parade, you know, because we're celebrating and then the next day we move on to the next thing. What the Romans were trying to do by having a parade was to cement and lock in in the minds of the citizens of Rome they are powerful. No one dare question our power. You be a good citizen. You follow our rules and things will be well with you. Don't question the authority that's there to establish the power. This material culture retold the story of Roman domination of the Mediterranean and helped the Romans reinforce ongoing conquests through the circulation of triumphal imagery out into the provinces and the areas of Roman expansion. So when Rome moved its empire, they brought some of their stuff with them to show everybody how important they were. The Romans began by conquering foreign peoples and removing plundered goods and captives from the vanquished cities to bring them back to Rome. Conquest was followed by the triumphal parade where the plundered goods and people moved through the city following the developing topography of the triumph, the parade passed sites that enhance the experience of the parade, including triumphal architecture, trophies, statues, statues to sacred temples, and the political spaces that defined Rome. After the parades, the generals then added to the triumphal topography by erecting new buildings to house their spoils, along with their inscriptions, paintings, maps, to label and reenact the process of conquest. These structures, these parades, stood symbolically for conquest. I think that's a really good description of what's going on in verse 15. Paul takes imagery that the Colossians and every reader in the Roman Empire would know. He takes the imagery and he applies it to the work of Christ. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame, and he triumphed over them in him or in the cross. These are the thoughts that we want to think about today, that the Paul takes this picture that was well known to the people in the Roman Empire and he twists it and he turns it on its head and he says, this is what God has done only a bazillion times better and more lasting. This is the kind of victory that we have. So Paul, the number one point for the sermon today is that the cross exposes the failings of the powers of the world. What are the powers of the world trying to tell us? The powers of the world are trying to tell us that, you know, we need to follow them. 
The world is right about everything, and, and, and we need to follow them. The empire is right about everything. Rome is right, or whatever empire we're talking about, and we can change names in the year 2021 of the, of the empire. But, you know, whatever they say, we're just going to do, we're going to follow blindly along, and so forth. What happens is, what happens is, is that the Lord, by the work of the cross, exposes them as fraudulent and misplaced. So I was thinking about the sermon, and I was thinking about that particular point. Um, you know, I don't know the best way to say this, but um, I channeled, you ever channel? I channeled the spirit of Pastor Mucci. Because <laughs> I've been watching the last uh, few weeks, I've been watching, and spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, I've been watching the series Loki. I don't know if you've been watching it. If you, if you don't want to know stuff, you know, you can tune out, you know, uh, go on Twitter or whatever, or Facebook or something. But I, I, this is really interesting. It was really interesting to me because it fit. And I give Pastor Mucci credit because he talks about Loki. Now, uh, the idea is this. Uh, Loki is this, uh, is this powerful person, and, but he's captured by this, by this group called the Time Variance Authority, the TVA. And six episodes, he's fighting the system, fighting the system, fighting the system. And please, here comes a spoiler, watch out. By the last episode, by the last episode, what he does is he exposes the time uh, variance authority as frauds. I mean, these people, you know, these, these, these powerful looking people in the room, he exposes them and, and, and really basically just kind of blows up the system. They're not real people. They're not real gods. It was just the way of keeping humanity in check for a while. I thought about that, and I thought that, you know, the, the comparison is this. Loki exposes them, and in, in, in a similar sort of way, and certainly in a more profound and spiritual way, what the Lord does by the work of the cross is he exposes all the things that we're impressed by. All the, all the power and authority and fame and, and money and all the things that we think are impressive in this world, he, by the work of the cross, he absolutely exposes them as fake. And now he declares victory in a Roman-style parade of saying, I am the true emperor. I am the true God. I am the true way of the Lord. I am, I am the one to follow, in other words. Every time you see the words uh, rulers and authority in verse 15, you really, need, you really need to think about how many different times Paul uses this phrase. I mean, it would make a great a word study. It would make a great concordance search. If you have you know, a Bible app, you can look up, look up different words and look up rulers and authorities because Paul has a lot to say about them. He talks about, he talks about uh, the Lord creating. In, if you just turn back a page in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1, he talks about the, in verse uh, 16, For by him, by Christ, all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. They were created by him. If you go back just a couple of books to the book of Ephesians, you read in Ephesians chapter 1 and, and uh, verse uh, 21 that uh, it talks about the power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and dominion and power, power and dominion. So Christ and his ascension is more powerful than the rulers 
and authority. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, and a verse you, you may have memorized uh, in your life, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle against the rulers and against authorities. This is the same expression that Paul uses over and over and over again. Rule and authority, yes, created by God. Everything created by him. Jesus, though, is over it. They think they're all powerful. They think they're God. They demand our attention. They demand our focus. They demand our worship. But Jesus steps in and says, no, follower of God. The world is powerful. The gods of this world are powerful but don't follow them because ultimately they are powerless. They're fakes. They're frauds. It's, 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 it's not worth your trust. It's not worth your time. If you want to, I mean, I was blown away by this verse as I was kind of just doing a kind of a little tiny word study on rulers and powers and so forth. First Corinthians chapter 15, where it talks about the resurrection of Christ being the basis of our own resurrection. It says in, in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. The rule of God. The rule of Christ is total. It is absolute. The, world, the world's power seems so powerful to us now. They're, they're so impressive. The world's so impressive. The Roman parades of this world currently just take our breath away. But the teaching of the scripture is clear. The cross of Christ exposes them for what they are. They're temporary and one day they will be ultimately defeated. Everyone, everyone that is making claims against God, they will be defeated. And those who truly walk with Christ, those who truly follow the Lord, they indeed are on the side of victory. So the cross exposes the failings of the powers of the world, but the cross also rescues believers from its effects. Now, this is a, a way we would go back to Colossians chapter 2 and we get to verse 14 where it talks about our sin. It talks about our indebtedness to sin. And it talks about the, the legal record and the legal demands that are against us. It talks about those things in Colossians 2. And, and really, you know, all those things that may have been waiting against us, what does God do with those things? He wipes them away. Some of us feel like, you know, we can't do anything for the Lord because, you know, of sin and so forth. And we struggle and, and, and we really look deep in our heart and God can never use me, that kind of thing. And, what, what, and, and that's really, as we talked about last week, it's really the words of the evil one trying to stop you from walking the walk properly. And what, God, and what God says to us is that in the work of Christ, because of the work of the cross, the power of sin is gone. Sin no longer has dominion. Death is no longer our enemy. And to emphasize that point, let me read a verse from Hebrews chapter 2. 
Hebrews chapter 2, when we're talking about death and death, how death is paralyzing, how death is scary, how death, you know, just, uh, you know, the fear of death. The, the empire, the empire how, why is the empire successful? Because if you don't obey the empire, you die, right? And the world says, the world says, if you don't follow me and my teaching and the way I look at things, you're as good as dead. And in some places, of course, you are. You can be dead too. Same thing as Rome. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He became flesh and blood. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. If you look at the empires of the world, how do the empires of the world succeed over history? They succeed by putting on a really good show of, of force in these parades. And for those who step out of line, they say there's always, inevitably, you could die. The world is like that in its own way, and it may, may be a little bit more subtle, but it's that way because it tells us if we don't follow it in its ways, we are as good as dead. And what the gospel teaches us, what Colossians teaches us, what this Hebrews passage teaches us, it teaches us that the cross rescues us from these powers. It's not us being put to shame because of the world. It is the world being put to shame because of the work of Christ. We are on the winning side. We're on the winning side. I don't know if you feel like some days you're not on the winning side. Maybe it's something external to you. Maybe it's you know, what you observe in the world around you. You say, man, I'm not on the winning side. Maybe it's something going inside you, something going on inside you, something that, that gets you down, something that, 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 that holds down your spirit. Uh, whatever it is, whether it's the evil one whispering uh, horrible things into your spirit, or whether it's just a combination of world events or personal situations and circumstances, whatever it is, you need to hear the word of victory. We are looking today at the cross. Because of the cross of Jesus, we can dismantle the powers. Those are not simply big, broad powers of an empire, but those are the powers that particularly and specifically affect each one of us in our daily walk. Those times when doubt overwhelms us, those times when fear overwhelms us, those times when we are, are too paralyzed to move because, because we don't know what's going to happen at the end. Well, if I do this, what's going to happen? If I do that, what's going to happen? Fear can be paralyzing. And what the Lord is teaching us in this verse, when he talks about how he has defeated all of the enemies, all of them, from beginning to end, from top to bottom, every debt, every sin, all of it, all the philosophies, everything. I don't know how to be more total than that, right? Everything. The presence of fear is not as strong anymore, right? We don't really have to be afraid of death. You don't have to say, I'm looking forward to death. You don't have to say that, right? You know, some, some of the ancient writers, they would say, oh, I want to be a martyr for the Lord, and they run off and try to get martyred. You know, I don't think the Bible encourages that. But I do say, I do say this. Fear doesn't have the, death doesn't have the claim on me that it, 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 it did before I was a believer. 
Um, the powers of the world are powerful, yes, but you know what? They're not the same now that I'm a believer. Why? Because of the work of Jesus on the cross. There's one last point I want to hit today before we call it a day. The cross allows believers to live triumphantly. First, the cross exposes the failings of the powers of the world. Then the cross rescues us from the effect of those powers. And thirdly, the cross allows us as believers to live triumphantly. Now, triumphant living is a phrase that's been tossed around a lot, and it's hard to know exactly to put our finger on exactly what it may mean for you. That some people just kind of link it to your bank account and to your, you know, your, so, your, your, your social media presence or some kind of fame that you might have, you know, something like that in this world. Is that what it means to live triumphantly? Uh, does it mean that we win every argument? Does it mean that we are, are bossy and super powerful and all those kinds of things? No, that, that's not really what it means at all. Because how does God win the victory here in Colossians 2? How is the victory won? Does God win the victory because he has a more powerful military than the powers of the world? Does he win the victory because he has a more powerful uh, you know, ammunition, right? No, he, has, he wins the victory because of the cross. You see, it's the absolute opposite of everything you've always thought. It's absolute opposite of everything that the world teaches us. The world teaches us to strive above all things for power. To strive for a sense of authority. The world pushes us in that direction. And the gospel teaches us the opposite. The gospel teaches us to take up the way of the cross. I want you to just kind of write in the back of your mind or somewhere in the notes on your heart the phrase, the way of the cross. And to use it as an evaluation tool for how you live your life, for the decisions you make, for the things you say, for the things you do, for the way you spend your time and resources. Is it the way of the cross? Is it the way of following Jesus? In one of those really important passages in Philippians 2 where Paul talks about all the things that Jesus did for us. He lowered himself. He be, he's God. He's God, but he becomes a man. He doesn't just become a man, but he becomes a servant. Uh, he becomes a servant. He dies. He doesn't die a glorious death. He dies a horrible death on the cross. And you can read Philippians 2 over, and it's a descent down, 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 down. But most people who read the passage forget to read verse 1 of Philippians 2, which says this, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. The call to live triumphantly is the call to walk in the way of the cross, to live humbly. God, in his good grace, may give you enormous power in this world, and God bless you for it. You may be a person of influence where you are. Indeed, you're a person of influence where you are, whether you're the boss or not the boss, whether you're the leader or not the leader. You're a person of influence. You're a person of influence. And so people look to you as you're the, you're the churchgoer. You're the person who talks about Jesus. You're the person. What are you like? Are you like everybody else on the, on the way, on the power journey? Or are you different? Do you walk the way of the cross? Do you believe in servant leadership? 
you think about others instead of yourself, or at least at the same level? Do you love what you love each other? You love others as you love yourselves. I mean, all of those things the cross calls us to. And it's the exact opposite of what the world teaches us. You know, uh, every time you stand up for, for justice, right, in a world where there's a lot of injustice, you're walking the way of the cross. You know, you, know, you don't have to give up hopes for justice in, in, in the way of the cross because we believe ultimately the cross brings justice. We believe in, by reading Isaiah 42 that the servant of the Lord who's called by the Lord is the one who's going to bring justice. And how does he bring justice? He does it quietly and he does it meekly in Isaiah 42. We know ultimately, even in Revelation, in the pictures of great judgment that are coming that seem to have a great military picture behind it, who is this one who's leading? Who is the one who's leading this great military force? It's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So there's power in the cross. There's power when someone looks at your life and see that you are following the way of the cross, but you are living humbly. You are living in a way that, that is, is, speaks highly of God. You are living in a way that calls attention, not to yourself how great you are, but how great God is. That is the way of the cross. And what did Jesus himself tell us in the Gospels? That we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. And this is where I have to say that, you know, um, have, you ever, have you met the person who's told you how much they sacrificed in life? Oh, I sacrificed this and that. And I don't, know if, I don't know if you have a lot of time for that person who tells you how much they sacrificed, but it just sounds a little weird, right, when they tell you how much they sacrificed. The call to sacrifice and the call to the way of the cross Is it called a sacrifice? Paul was a guy who counted all the things he sacrificed. You read Philippians 3 over. I was this. I was, a, I was a leader, right? I was of a certain tribe. I knew the laws. I followed all the rules. I did this. I did this. But he gets to the end of it, and he says, you know what? That was all a pile of rubbish anyway. This is a pile of rubbish. The call to sacrifice may seem like it's going to hurt and be painful. The way to take up your cross, that sounds terrible, right? It sounds like, oh, you're advocating an awful life today. No. Taking up the cross and sacrificing. We don't, we don't look at the pain of it. And in fact, we don't think about it in terms of pain. We think about it just in terms of who we are as God's children. Jesus forgave us, so we forgive others. Jesus, uh, Jesus cries out for the widows and the orphans, so we cry out for the widows and the orphans. Jesus condemns religious hypocrisy, and so we condemn religious hypocrisy. We follow the way of the cross, and we know that this life is a very temporal life, that we are only given so many years in this life. And we know that when we follow the way of the cross, that we are investing our lives for eternity right now. I pray that your life would be a life of great influence where you are, but not influence in the human way, which treasures, which values power over everything, but it would be in a way which values the cross above all and looks through life through its lens. If God, if, if the church, if the church today emerges as a group of humble followers of Jesus seeking to do his will, 
as a bunch of, instead of a bunch of power-hungry, power-grabbing people who seek to force uh, their own will on people, right? Which is often a world's description of us. If we choose the way of humility, we will undoubtedly influence people for eternity. And is that what we're about? To create a people, to be part of forming a people, calling people to God. It's a wonderful calling. And today, let me end with this. You are triumphant because of the cross. Don't turn your back on the cross after you become a Christian and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Now I'm going to do it my own way. Follow the way of the cross in everything that you do. And I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. But if you do that, I know, based on the teaching of God's word, you will be richly rewarded in every possible way, either here or specifically in eternity. That's the life we want to leave, isn't it? That's the life we want to live. That's the victory we want to embrace. This is the journey that we're on together. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for the teaching that ultimately we are victorious in Christ. Lord, forgive us for the times when we're just so inspired by the world that we want to be like them in everything, and we see their shows of power and, and, and such. Lord, forgive us for being impressed by all that. Teach us to be impressed by the cross. Teach us what it means to follow you with all our heart. Teach us what it means to, to live a life where we give of ourselves, knowing that indeed you will sustain us in everything that we do and say. Would you walk with us, we pray, on our journey? Be with those who are struggling with their faith right now. Be with those who are hurting right now. Be with those who on their journey feel not victorious, but defeated. Point us to the cross and allow us to see you as Lord of all. Oh, we pray these things and we commit ourselves to you in the wonderful and blessed name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. God bless you. Amen. You guys join me in thanking Dr. Skodal for the message this morning. Thank you, Dr. Skodal. Always encouraged by your timely message and your encouraging teaching from the Word of God. We have an opportunity to respond and to engage this morning. We, we do this primarily two ways. First, we do this through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And if you're a member and a regular attender here, you'll know that we do this because this is an act of worship and this is a way for us to practically, together as a community and as a family, partner together to see the gospel go forth. And there's a couple different ways you can do that here this morning. As we come forward in just a moment to receive communion, there's an offering box here on the stage or in the lobby on your way out. You can also give online at our website, or you can give by texting the dollar amount to 84320. There's also a link here if you scan the QR code on that web page that, that it will direct you to. There is a link there as well. We also respond and engage by the receiving of communion. Why do we do this every single Sunday as a family? Well, first of all, because Scripture commands it that as often as we gather, we're to do this in remembrance of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, he was gathered with his disciples as they were having a Passover meal in the upper room before he went to the cross and he took bread and he broke it. He said, guys, look, this is my body which will be broken for you. He took the cup of wine. He said, this is my blood 
which would be spilled. He used this analogy of the bread and the wine to show them what was about to happen. And he literally went to a cross and his body was literally broken and his blood was literally shed so that our sin would be forgiven. The debt that we owe, the ultimate justice that needed to be served was reconciled and redeemed in what Jesus Christ had done for us. But also, his perfection, his righteousness was given to us for those who believe. And so when we come together, in a sense, there is a table here, even though we don't see a physical table. There is a table in which we gather around as a family and we eat the little wafer and we drink the little bit of juice to remind us on a weekly basis of what Jesus did for us. That he went to the cross so that we could be victorious because he was victorious for us. So I'm going to invite Iman to come and prepare. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray now. And when I say amen, you're welcome to come down this left aisle, my left, your right, and come across and receive the cup. We're going to continue to worship and you can receive communion back at your seat. So Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you sent your one and only son Jesus to the cross for us. Lord, you are glorified in that, but you did it for us so that our sins would be forgiven, so that your righteousness would be ours, and that we could live a life victorious because of what you've done for us. And so we come now and we partake now at this table together as a family in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come church, let's receive together. Amen, church. A couple of quick announcements before we receive the benediction this morning. 
there's no leader hub today. I know there was a um, text message that went out yesterday or this morning about leader hub, but we're, we'll, we'll let you know when that is going to happen until further notice. The second is pop-ups. If you have not joined a pop-up yet, we would invite you to participate in some of our pop-ups. There's another chance coming this month to participate in several pop-ups and fellowship gatherings. If you want to get access to the link, just scan the QR code and it'll be there. And then also we are packing some backpacks with school supplies. If you'd like to donate school supplies, if you'd like to join uh, the volunteer time to pack the backpacks or like to help distribute the backpacks, again, scan the QR code, go to the link there and all the information will be available to you. We hope that you'll participate in that with us. Now, our benediction, let's receive that this morning. It's in Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God bless you, church. Go in peace. See you next Sunday.